need to just put a little cap on last week's lesson about interruptions. And so let me just make this statement and then we can move on because within the context of our lesson tonight comes a, a very important measure for me in regard to whatever prophetic word that I might give to someone. When we talked about interruptions last week, we know that some things can be interrupted. And so I could say to someone, there's a revival happening in your life, or God's going to use you in whatever capacity. Between the time that whatever prophetic word is enunciated and the time that the Lord is ready to use you in that, you can interrupt that in a detrimental way. Likewise, if there was judgment against you, you can interrupt that by turning to God. So those, all of those aspects, are they, they don't declare the prophetic word or the prophet or the person used in whatever gift. They don't declare them to be insensitive to the Holy Spirit. They don't make him to be a false prophet. But God has issued many warnings and blessings that have been interrupted by the very people to which they've been given based upon their response after that. Now, true accountability here is that whatever God has given you, that sounded like a ringtone, a Christmas ringtone. And it just, it, that helped me. Whatever prophecy God has given you, you are then accountable for that prophetic word. All right? So from interruptions to the accountable is important. And now we're going to get into the accountable. Okay. So I've got a lot of scriptures, and you might have to have your Bibles, and, and maybe the, the media team will help me based upon whatever I give them for Christmas and the gift. But they don't know that yet, so it'll be better come January. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time, underline this, when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab. Here's a big problem. These are telltale explanations of the beginning, the demise of an entire kingdom and a lineage. Now, you might have read that and thought, well, that he was just commissioning someone. Hold on a second. When kings go forth into battle, there's your first clue. David sends Joab, that's the second, his servants with him, all of Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. Here's the worst of it. But David tarried still in Jerusalem. I'm just going to stay on your script here for a moment, and you can read with me. Among the many spiritual battles that confront the believer, none rise higher, rises higher than the war of the flesh and spirit. While there are demonic oppression, we know that. The carnal nature will always resist the constraint of the word and the spirit. Your flesh is always in opposition to the Holy Spirit. Don't ever think that you've conquered your flesh. You have not conquered your flesh. The fact is not new as the record of humanity has revealed. However, the relevance and struggle of the matter has never been greater than it is today. Consider David's kingship. 
He had finally united the people of Israel around a central philosophy. Just pause for a second. David's anointed three times. He's anointed by Samuel, right? Everyone remember? He's anointed by Samuel. He comes from the field. Nobody thinks that he's qualified. He's anointed at Hebron. He's anointed at Hebron, but Saul is still in power. Finally, he's anointed the third time in Jerusalem, and he's anointed by all the elders. Okay. He's defeated the enemies of Israel. This is from his youth up. Established the economic prowess of the kingdom. Because we know that he has already gathered lots of gold. He's already uh, conscripted many men ready to build the temple. He's not going to get to do it, but he's been gathering that. In fact, the Bible says specifically that Solomon would grow up in the house of David who planned for the temple. Yet in his success, he fails to make himself accountable to the attending prophet. Now, we're not going to really know that prophet because it's going to be a little bit of an overlap between Samuel and Nathan. His lack of accountability led to the demise of the kingdom and it manifests itself in the lives of his sons. I would also include daughters, but the daughters were victims. So let me just offer these steps towards spiritual and moral failure. I don't want you to follow them. Here's a few steps. This is what happens. It's very common. Number one is sufficiency. David became sufficient. He was the king. Everyone today in America feels like the king. We set ourselves up for independence. In fact, we celebrate the independence of America And now it's in the core structure of our culture that we are also independent. Number two, it's absence. David was absent. Absent from spiritual oversight. He just wasn't around. One of the best ways to destroy your life is to be absent from any spiritual oversight. He did not make himself available. I found this to be true in multiple arenas where, where church people, in fact, some reading of some denominational pastors have revealed that this is probably across the board, has nothing to do with denominational um, doctrines, different, different doctrines. It probably has to do with human nature and the new Christian believer. That people in congregations believe that the shepherd or the pastor or the preacher should be in pursuit of directing the people in their personal lives and making them accountable. Well, I find that, as I'm reading, it's an impossibility. No one can make you accountable. The only way you can really be accountable is if you are available. If you're not available, you're not answering any questions. All right. So watch this. David does not make himself. He's absent. He's absent from spiritual oversight. Read through the scripture, you'll find out. Letter C, he relinquishes. He relinquished his God-given calling. He was a man of war. From his youth up, he was a man of war. And David was skilled in the battle. And he relinquished it. Because he sent Joab. And in the time when kings go out to make war or go out to battle, where was David? He stayed in Jerusalem. These are telltale signs of a man who's become sufficient 
I've won everything. I paid my dues. What a lie. I, I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. And I'm going to just let someone else do it. This is a big problem. You see, what works in your favor, ladies and gentlemen, is that you and I are not omnipresent. That's why I think our kids need to be at church. Because even if they're not spiritual, they can't be in two places at one time. (laughs) That's right. Just being here tonight is a good thing. And letter D... This is what David did. He looked beyond the borders of his own house. I wonder, do you have borders around your house? And what are those borders around your home? Of course, we need to broaden that out. Borders around the mind, the spirit, and the heart. I'm going to get to that on Sunday morning. I hope people come back. We'll see. After that last Sunday morning, I don't know. Maybe they might not come back. Uh, Letter E. He compromised his own beliefs. Can I just tell you that once you step outside of the borders, compromise is always soon to follow. There is never a compromise until the borders have been crossed. When you cross the borders of your convictions, the next thing is that you'll compromise your own beliefs. And finally... This is, these are steps towards spiritual, moral failure. All kinds of failures can be attributed to these steps. They're dominoes. And finally, David covered. You see, compromise came from crossing the borders. And when the borders are crossed and there's compromise, then guess what? Then there's cover up. Because the deed is done and now we're going to cover up. But almost always, when we cover up one problem... We need it. We have to institute another problem. When we cover up one sin, it takes another sin to cover up the first sin. It's like one lie dictates another lie. One issue to cover up that one issue, we have to have another issue. Nothing is ever clean in this domino effect of moral and spiritual failure. And it started because David was not accountable. He was not accountable. Here's a few reasons, and we're going to get into some accountability, the measures of it. But let me offer you a few reasons why people reject accountability. Uh, Just for everyone's knowledge, um, I'm not always happy about this. Can I just tell you, I'm not always happy. Now, I like knowing where Tammy is. I really like it. In fact, when I got LifeLock, anybody have LifeLock? When I got LifeLock, do you know what LifeLock is? It's a, it's a security measure for, um, uh, for the invasion of, uh, against your uh, credit card or against your um, uh, social security number, you know. So you enter all your stuff and now LifeLock, it, I don't know how much it costs, like $10 or something a month. Every time that Tammy would open up a credit card to get 15% off at Macy's, I would get a notification. I do get notifications. I don't know how many Macy cards you can get, but she's gotten them on a regular basis every season. And LifeLock calls me and says, uh, someone has opened up a credit card, a line of credit in your name. This tells me where Tammy has been. The second thing I have is I have the Capital One card and, and it shows me in real time what has just been charged. I can track her 
Now we've got another thing. I'm not really happy about this. It's called Life 360. Life 360 shows you where everyone is. Their phones connected, you know, where they're driving. In fact, sometimes we even call Roman on the phone and we say, Roman, uh, Life 360 says that you're going over the speed limit. And you are going very, very fast. And he said, Dad, I'm not driving. Brother Zach is. Oh, okay. I'm going to call his mother. <laughs> or maybe his wife, somebody. I'm going to call his grandma. That's who I'm going to go. <laughs> I know how fast you are driving, Brother Zach, because it came up on Roman's phone. The, everywhere I go, you, there's like little, it's a little grid. It's a little grid. Like the day I think I went to, I don't know why, I went to, I, I went to Rick's Barbecue twice in one day. Tammy's like, how many times are you going to eat at Rick's Barbecue? I had meetings, that's why. And I went back and ate twice. So, so what? I'm fat. All right, so this, people reject this. They don't want this. But there's a beautiful part about accountability. We're going to get to it, but it's not just an option for the saints. We don't really get to decide whether or not we want to be accountable if we believe in the scripture. One of the problems that we found through the last few decades, and I'm sure this has been happening before my time, was that people take out the scripture that they most love and admire, and they disregard other scripture that invades their personal space. We're like cafeteria Christians. I'll take that, that, and I don't want that. And then we get to the end, we feel satisfied, but the problem is, that the word of God cannot be segmented and it can't be compartmentalized. In fact, it all goes together. When you, when you splice the word of the Lord out of your life, what you do is you don't validate the scriptures that you keep. In fact, you ruin them. You destroy the scriptures that you do like and the things that you do find palatable. Because the Bible is not given in in, in, in segments, in fact, it's all together true. And it works all together. It's kind of like saying, well, I really don't like butter, but I'd like to have that recipe. I don't really like flour, but I love bread. What are you talking about? You can't, you can't have the completeness until you have the wholeness. Yes. All right. I'm just showing you this now because it, there's a whole lot there. We want the anointing, but the anointing comes from separation from the world. If you don't want to be separate, you're not going to get the anointing. Now, you can get baptized in Jesus' name, and I believe the Lord will fill you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. However, if you want the anointing, that's going to take some separation from the world and dedication, because nothing ever good comes without sacrifice. Are you still with me here? So you're following this train of thought. So here's a few reasons why people might reject accountability. Number one, we're going back to David's issue. It's self-sufficiency. Self. Or it's independence. Because you're independent. Independence. Doesn't it sound so good? Don't you want to light off a firework? Wouldn't you like to have some sparklers? Independence. But independence is counterintuitive to the cross of Calvary. 
Jesus was submissive to death. In fact, even the Lord struggled with his own humanity and said, Father, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was not independent of the will of the Father. The flesh had to submit to the spirit. The, the mortal had to submit to the immortality. The, 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 the temporal had, had to be uh, humbled before, before the eternal. All right. Number two is pretty easy. It's pride or arrogance. Some people are just so proud. They're, they're, they're very proud. They don't want anyone to tell them what to do because of pride. Now, pride manifests itself in many different ways. Pride manifests itself in many different ways. I don't, I don't like to throw my brother under the bus. I love to. I love to throw him under the bus. And I remember Scott saying to dad, when dad asked him a question, we were real young. I'll never forget that moment. Dad said, where have you been? And Scott had learned a new phrase. And it was, that's for me to know and you to find out. Now, Scott won't remember these things because, but I do remember them. So I don't, I'm asking for his, his affirmation. But Scott, if, you're, if, you, if you would just comply. <laughs> and, this, and this, the reason why these imprinted on me is because of my dad's reaction and what marks were left on Scott's body. See, I knew, I'm not sure what to say, but that ain't it. <laughs> That's what happens in the second child. You watch the first child and you don't really know what to do, but you figure out by deductive reasoning. No, 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 maybe no. <laughs> Arrogance and pride and a haughty spirit causes people to reject anyone who asks them a question. And that is that becomes a massive division between between the scripture and, and, this, and this fleshly nature. Because the flesh resists the Lord out of pride. And this is exactly what Saul responded to Samuel. When Samuel came up upon the sacrifice. And Samuel had already told Saul to kill everything. And then he said when he walked up. What is that bleeding in my ears? The bane of the sheep. And in his arrogance, King Saul said, I kept the best of the flocks, the best of the sheep, the best of the lambs. And I did that. Well, it's not your call. And so the prophet is going to, he's going to, he's going to challenge the king. But as we find out, kings don't like to be challenged. Independent people, prideful people don't like to be challenged and they never want to be held to accountable measures. Let's move on. Number three is, is to hide, in order to hide. You see, one of the reasons why people don't want to be accountable is they, don't, they, they like to hide. They like to hide. This, this, of course, is a common trait among people and they will hide whatever sin or whatever conduct and they don't want anyone to know, so they'll hide. And this is very, this is, uh, this is inside of our nature. This came from our father Abraham and our mother Eve to hide. You do wrong, you go hide. That was the first response of Adam and Eve. 
Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that they saw was that they were naked. And God said, well, who told you you were naked? Disobedience causes us to see ourselves in a way absent from what the Lord designed us. And they hid. Because before the sin, they did not need a conscience to tell them right from wrong. But the moment they sinned, a conscience awoke. And when they had a conscience, they went and clothed themselves with whatever leaves they could find. The Bible says in the last days, people have their conscience seared as with a hot iron, right? What do people do? When, when you're innocent, when you're two or three years old, we've had all four of our kids run around naked in front of our friends and family. Get out of the bathtub. They're a year and a half old. They're two years old. They, they're, you know, they're, they're, I don't know who wrote, wrote the song, you know, the boogity boogie song, you know. Here, they call them the streak. Our kids, they having a great time, and they call them the streak, and they're running around. Dear God, put some clothes on. They don't have any clue of that they're doing anything wrong. They're innocent. But as they get older, they realize, oh, I've got to put some clothes on. And they adopt innately modesty to do that. But of course, the Bible says in the last days, people have their conscience seared as with a hot iron. Their conscience is seared. They're numb. What do people do when they lose a conscience? They take their clothes off. That's exactly where we are today. Of course, it's not the only time in history this has happened. It happened in Rome. And it, happened, it happened before the god Molech. This has happened many, many times. Because people get far from God. They make compromises. There's no accountability to the scriptures or to God. Still with me now? So, there's a hiding. There's hiding. They hide. And, and number four, there's a lack of faith. Because... Anyone who comes to God must first believe or have faith that God is. Faith. Faith, losing faith in God is much, it's much bigger and broader than, than looking for the impossible. Faith is not just stepping out and looking for the impossible. It has much more to do than just looking for a miracle. Faith is to believe in something that's higher than you. Faith is to have your foundation and your roots in something that's bigger than you. And faith, guess what faith invokes? I'm, this is not on your handout, but you might want to write it. Faith invokes honor and respect. In fact, faith invokes the fear of the Lord. And when you lose faith in God, you lose respect, honor, and the fear of the Lord. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say that too many teachers have taught faith as miracle time. Which it is, but it's, it doesn't... The faith is also the doctrine. Faith... What is your faith? It's, it's your way of life. That's right. So, so when, when you have a lack of faith in God's word, it's not just the understanding of God's word. It's that it's true. And if it's true and you, you believe this is God's written word uttered from God with writers and he's the only author, then at that point you are subject to something higher than you. This is this, uh, is the measurement of my life. This is how I have to judge my actions and my deeds and my conduct. In fact, in the end, the Bible says, we'll be judged by the books. Out of the books we'll be judged. So before I get to that, I want to live by the books. And of course, there's one book, but we're talking about these different divisions of the books. Amen. So faith in God's words. And finally, the reason why people would might reject accountability is just the misuse of Scripture. Now, this is very intricate, and it deals a lot with our Pentecostalism. Because we have misuse of scriptures that negate us from any kind of uh, accountability. 
And how are those scriptures? Well, we believe that the veil was torn and now we can go into the Holy of Holies. In fact, we're commanded to boldly approach the throne of grace. Make our petitions known. With thanksgiving, we make our petitions known. We know now that that there's one mediator between God and man. We don't go to a high priest. We don't go to a priest. We, we can go to Jesus Christ ourselves. We can go to the Lord ourselves. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What did Peter say? Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So now it becomes self-initiated. The problem with that is that does not negate your spiritual authority. God gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's right. God gave some. And so for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Read in your Bible. So if this is the case, it doesn't negate another voice in your life. You don't tear down the voice that God's given you, wherever that is. And we're going to get into this. So the misuse of scripture says, well, I, people misuse scriptures all the time. Well, I don't need anyone. And listen, I'd like to come to church, but I got to have a job because the Bible says if I don't provide for my family, I'm worse than an infidel. Hold on a second. Get another job. You don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. And there's a commandment about getting, about honoring God on the Sabbath. Now we understand that as honoring God with worship in a corporate setting. So people can misuse the scripture to remove themselves from accountability. That is a gross interpretation of the Bible. How are we doing? Everybody's kind of looking at me. The lights are down. There's shadows over your eyes. Your eyelids could be closed and I would not know. If your head's bobbing up and down, I'm just going to take it that you're agreeing with me. Like that. Okay. All right. Here we go. Ready? Accountability, this is our working definition. Accountability is measured by the openness of one's life toward another so that decisions and conduct are in conjunction with God's law. Here's our working definition. Accountability is measured by the openness of one's life toward another. This is not hidden. It's not personal. It's not just you and nobody else. So that decisions and conduct are in conjunction with God's law. Now, we're going to read some scripture here, and, and I'll try not to labor here long, but I've got to read the scripture. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 17. That's a lot of verses. Uh, maybe I'll read, I've got the King James, but maybe I'll read from the NIV too. Let me just start there. This is, this is Paul writing to the church at Rome. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith. Do you have that, Lori? Thank you. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats anything must not look down on him who does not. The man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own mastery stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day... Ooh, this is really... This is a really touchy subject. Because we have a... We're, we're having some issues here in the, in the New Testament church with Gentiles and Jews. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats it to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live, for none of us 
lives to himself alone. That's very interesting. And none of us dies to himself alone. You're not independent of each other. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died, returned to life. So that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. In other words, you don't get to judge them. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account. Everyone say, give an account. To who? To God. Everyone's given account to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Ooh. Now, now he adds something to it. You're going to give an account to God. And also, by the way, consider your brother. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him, it's unclean. <laughs> That's... That does not compute very well with people who are just black and white folks. Just no gray areas. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Here's the last verse. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So let's do some levels of accountability. The first level of accountability is toward God. That's your first level of accountability. You're accountable to God. It doesn't matter where you are. God always knows where you are. It doesn't matter what room you're in. God always sees you. You're never hidden from God. You're never alone from God. You're never apart from God. There's no place where you can go where God is not. If I ascend into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Wherever you are, God sees you. There's not a place. You couldn't whisper low enough for God not to hear. In fact, some people say that they can, they can, they can say whatever, they, they think they can say whatever they want as long as they're at home. But the Old Testament says that God rebuked them and said, I heard what you said in your tents. (laughs) Oh, man. So guess what? Your home is not a castle and you are not a king or queen. You may be a drama queen, but you are not a real queen. Okay. Sorry, that was offensive. Maybe applicable. All right. This is very bad. I can go down a bad road. Number two, you're accountable for your words. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified. By thy words thou shalt be condemned. You are the jury of your own life. You are the judge and the jury of your own life. By your words you're justified or condemned. Wow. The Bible says even a fool, when he does not open up his mouth, is considered as wise. You might be a fool, but don't open up your mouth and nobody will know. 
We will be accountable for every idle word, all of our words. Don't think that you can just say whatever you want to. Here's what I believe the attack of the enemy is. The prince of the power of the air. The devil is the prince of the power of the air. This is one of the aspects of the prince of the power of the air. It's not just TV and movies and videos and Hulu and Netflix and all that. It's not just that. It's our ability to say whatever we think without any filter in real time irrespective of what happens or who reads it or who receives it. It's going through the airwaves, our words, and what we type, text, post, say, repeat has a bearing on our eternal soul. It would be better for us not to share our hurt feelings on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter than to say or think, I got to get this off my chest. You just got it off your chest, but now you are accountable for what you've said. Let me just put this out here. I hope no one leaves the church. I hope you say it new life the rest of I hope we, from here we go on to glory. But if by chance you decide to leave the church, or anyone that watches this video, you decide to leave your church. If you do, go make it right with your pastor and never post anything about how you now feel liberated and free. Don't impugn by innuendos the very place where you are fed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because guess what you've just done? You've just condemned yourself and now you've you got to go make it right before you can even get, get in the good grace of God in the next place you go. And don't think that you can say, well, I'm just under a different authority. You've already hurt the authority that you used to have in the church that you used to have. And now you're condemned by your own words. And it's going to be a bad day when God says, let's talk about it. I got something I need to talk to you about. How are we doing? I'm asking you periodically how you're doing because... I'm kind. Not really kind, but little kind. I've been talking about chocolate. I've been telling people about chocolate. I would like to have people around me that are real milk chocolate people. I don't want these 85% chocolate people. You know, they're bitter. They help my spirit, but they're still bitter. All right. Number, number three is accountable to our brother. I'm accountable to my natural brother, Scotty. I want to be accountable to Scott in whatever measure I need to be accountable to him. I am my brother's keeper. You know what the answer is, right? Yes. When God asked Cain, where is thy brother? And Cain asked the question. Here's the first question, Cain. Am I my brother's keeper? Guess what the answer is, ladies and gentlemen? Yes. That means you don't get to just do what you want to do. You are accountable for your brother. Here's, here's the scripture. The scripture is 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, there's many scriptures. I, 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 I can't put them all in the handout. But I like, I like this format. Ye younger, submit. Everyone say submit. Yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another. 
Do you know that it's a lot easier for some people to be subject or submit to an authority above them than for them to be subject and submit to one another? They say, wait a second, you're my peer. You just got baptized. You just got in church. I have to submit to you? I got to be subject to you? You haven't been serving the Lord as long as I have. You just got in the church. My great-grandpappy was a Pentecostal. I'm more spiritual by lineage. That's not true. These ideas here have flowed around us. The Bible says be subject one to another. That's right. See, when you are not accountable to one another, that's when there's all kinds of moral corruption in the church. Yes. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Go see if you can find that at the department store. What, what's the clothing aisle? Humility. For God resists the proud. He giveth grace to the humble. You need grace, be humble. If you don't need to be, if you don't need grace, then you really need grace. <laughs> so we are accountable to one another. Our brother, we're accountable. You don't have to text me and say, now, pastor, I'm going on vacation or, 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 or you, but let someone else know where you are. I don't like to tell people where I'm at. Why? What are you trying to hide? What's going on? Well, I don't like people to know my business. That's a very interesting thing. Everyone knows your business. I'm just going to tell you right now, some of you think no one knows your business. They all know your business. Everybody knows everybody's business. You've been telling everybody about your business. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Lack of accountability. There's a lack of accountability when we're not subject one to another. But I've got to be accountable Watch this. For my brother and toward my brother. It's important. And this is not a hierarchical command. It is a church command. Here's what happened. Uh, somewhere in the late second century, this became a very large issue. where, And, th- and part of it was the written word. It, it was not uh, published. Um, as the centuries would go by... The Bible was then described to people by orators. Uh, when it was written in Latin, people, people were not educated. They could not read it. So in steps the authority. These are professional uh, orators. We, we would know them maybe in, in the Catholic denomination as priests. And so what it did was it removed the people from personal responsibility. And so the minister-pastor... Um, he was the one who decided even the salvation of people. And so when Martin Luther nailed his 53 uh, items, a thesis on the, on that door that day, he was in rejection. Now that's, that began, that began a movement that we know as the Protestants. Now we don't identify as Protestant because we were never in protest. That's not our strand. That's not our lineage. We were not in protest. We had a strand of Judaism with the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. The Protestant movement came out of the Catholic Church. However, just for our sake here tonight. And then came the introduction of professional pulpits and professional platforms where where the people had to be accountable to one man, 
Thus was introduced the word father, which, of course, the Bible speaks against. So now, instead of calling him the preacher or the pastor, we would call him, people called him father. Now, I am not your father. You should never call me father, Harpole. I have a father, Harpole. His name is Bill, William, dad, pop, whatever we might say. My, my mother's husband. Mostly, he's known as my mother's husband. Because she always tells me and Scott and Dana, do you know what my husband did? My husband is so good. My husband can do this. My husband can do that. And eventually we just kept saying, who is your husband? Who is this man that you say? <laughs> it's true. Me and my husband are coming over this weekend. Well, who is that man? Tell me. <laughs> so what happens is then, then as time goes by, we've regulated pulpits and pews and we have clergy and laity which is not even really scriptural and then we have the absence of scripture until Gutenberg helped us and 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 so even in the early 1960s 50s and 60s platforms were arranged like this if you go back and look at pictures and many of the Christian churches all denominations there were there were curtains or there were walls on small walls on the platform in fact Walls all over the platform or curtain rods or things all over the platform. And some places were off limits to the saints, to the people, to congregations. This, this is well, in fact, I can remember even when we went to Troy, Missouri, my dad, my dad pastored this little church in Troy, Missouri, and it was established, I believe, um, by, by one of the Gwyns. And on that platform, there was these little, these little beautiful crushed red velvet curtains with brass, uh, brass posts all around it. And that was indicative of the nature, the mindset of people. And so because of that, no one thought they needed to be accountable to one another because they didn't consider one another to be spiritual enough to give an account or four or two. But this is not scriptural. In fact, in fact, we finally took down the walls and the rails realizing that we're all in the body of Christ and we all have a responsibility to one another. That's right. So... We have to be submissive to one another, younger to the elder. And that scripture goes on and there's some wonderful things. But God does resist the proud. Number four, are you ready? Accountable for your finances. Let me just read the scripture. This is interesting and I would love to get into this narrative, but I don't have time. Joash said to the priest, all the money of the dedicated things that is brought into the house of the Lord, even the money of everyone that passeth the account, the money that every man is set at, and all the money that comes into any man's heart to bring into the house of the Lord. Let me read it in another version. Joash said to the priest, collect all the money that's brought as sacred offerings to the temple. The money collected in the census. The money received from personal vows. The money brought voluntarily to the temple. Let every priest, verse 5, receive the money from one of the treasures. Let it be used to repair whatever damage is found in the temple. Now, in that particular scripture, what we're discovering is... That there was an account for all the money and the various accounts and how the money was brought in. It was money collected in the census, money from personal vows, and money that was just brought voluntarily. People went above and beyond. And they used it for specific reasons. And it was accountable. The church has to be responsible for the money that's given. Let's get, let's, let's unpack it. The board and the pastor and the elected trustees must be accountable for the cash, the money, the offerings that come into this place. 
I'm proud. Um, let me rephrase. No, let's just say, I'm proud. No, that's not a good word. I'm very happy to say that we are accountable for the money that comes to the church. Surely you can even see where it's going. <laughs> and this is a good time to put in a plug for the first part of February where we have our annual business meeting, which some of you have never graced the doors of the church on the annual business meeting. I do want you to know you are invited to come. Amen. What a great response that I feel from all the saints of the Most High God. This is the moment we become, and not just, this is the moment we share information to all the body, but four times a year in your church, there are board meetings where all the money is, is accounted for from our secretary, our secretary treasurer, and the board that you've elected. Because we believe there's got to be accountability for the finances. Now that's from this standpoint. But there's another standpoint. It comes in the book of Acts, chapter 5. Certain men named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. They must have been in a building program. Because the last part of chapter 4 says that Barnabas led with an offering. Barnabas led with an offering. But Ananias kept back part of the price. His wife was also had knowledge of it. They brought a portion of it. Because, you know, some people look at the church and say, you don't need all that. I'm just going to give you what I think you need. Let me just tell you, giving is more about what it does for you than who you give it to. I wish we could get into a wonderful season of giving that is not attributed to a function or design or a specificity. A, a, a specificity. I wish we had offerings given just because God's good. This is what people say. If you need me, call me. What if I don't need you? Would you still call me? Well, now, if there's a need, I'll give. Why do we always wait for the need before we give? Because the need is not about the need. The need is about what it does for me in my life. Amen. Oh, yes. And anyone who thinks I'm giving based upon my perception of what the church needs, you have no idea what giving is. And I've taught many years ago, and let me just repeat this, there's a difference between a purchaser and a giver. A giver releases it. A purchaser wants something in return. Well, I hope they use it the right way. When I gave, when I give, every time I give, I release it to the Lord. And I've always released it. What is done after that, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. All right, Acts 5, building program, kept back part of it, laid it at the apostles' feet, probably like everyone was doing. But Peter said to Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost to keep back part of the price of the land? When it was, when it was there, while it was yours, couldn't you do whatever you wanted to? Couldn't you have just said, listen, we're going to give a portion of it? And after it was sold, wasn't it in your own power to distribute it the way you want why did you conceive this thing in your heart? Thou hast not lied to, to men, but to God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine writing down something or saying, I'm going to give, and then you didn't say anything. You just didn't give what you said you were going to give? 
Don't you know that you're not given to anybody but God? You always give to God. You're never given to anyone but God. When you get, and you are responsible and accountable for whatever finances you have. Now, there's a lot of scriptures about this. But he lied to the Lord, and the Bible says, this is the book of Acts, by the way. This is not the kings or the, or the book of Samuels or the judges where people died in masses. This is the New Testament church where people died in the church, maybe while service was going on. <laughs> Talk about revival. Come to my church. We had two people die last week. <laughs> we might be a few good funerals away. <laughs> I think you said that, Elder, from having revival. <laughs> and of course, Mrs. Sapphira comes in late for church. My guess is she was changing clothes again, fixing her hair. Had she come with her husband to church and been on time, she'd have found out what her dumb husband was saying. She would not have said those words. She could have lived. But she lied too. Because they were cohorts in crime. Because guess what they did? They conspired to do the wrong things and were not accountable with their money. Number five, you're accountable for your, your gifts and your talents, the things God given you. You're accountable you don't ever bury your talent or your gift. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused, watch this, of wasting his possessions. So he called him and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager of any, any longer. You've wasted this. The manager said to him, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people welcome me to their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil. Verse 6, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it, 100, make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat. He replied, he told him, take your bill, make it 800. Mm-hmm. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted truly for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I don't want to go through this whole narrative because it's a little complex. Whoever can be trusted with very little, this is the verse I want to get to, can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Verse 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now what does that mean? That means doctrine, truth, the gospel. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So this is the problem. There's no accountability for what you're doing. You've mismanaged things. You want something, but you can't deal with what you have now. You want more, but you've wasted, you've mismanaged what you have now. Watch this. Matthew 25, 14 and 15. The kingdom of heaven is a man like a man. He's traveling to this far country. He called his servants. He delivers unto them his goods. He gives talents. Five, two, one. Every man, watch this. According to his several ability. According to his ability to manage. And he left. Here's the problem with accountability with our talents and our gifts. Mismanagement and jealousy. Mismanage it, jealousy, I got one more for you, and fear. Fear of failure. Fear of being rejected. If God has given you, and I shouldn't say if, God has given everybody 
a gift and a talent. Use it for the kingdom. Manage what you have. Manage what you, what you receive. Be a good steward of the things that you have. And all the people said amen. You're going to have to give an account for that. It's very important. Be accountable for your finances and for your gifts and for your talents. And I'm moving on now. Where am I at? Am I at, am I at number six? This is accountable to our spiritual authority. Now this, this really hurts the independent spirit. It's really, this is a damaging thing. Here's a damaging thing. Because Nathan will come in to the, to the palace of, of King, I'm sorry, of King David. Nathan will come in. And Nathan's going to relay a story to David. He's setting him up. David thinks that he has covered up and hidden his crime. David, the one we sing about, the one we rejoice over, lied, crossed the border, compromised his belief, lusted after a woman, invited her into his home, invited her into his bedroom, had an affair. One night stand caused her to get pregnant. Her husband's out on the battlefield and he would have been there for months. David has him come home. What David doesn't know is that because of his devotion to God in times past, he's created a army of loyalists. Uriah was subject to his brothers that were still on the battlefield. He felt accountable to his brothers still fighting the battle. And he said, how can I go home and be with my wife when my brothers are bleeding and dying on the battlefield? Think of that. Think of the kind of character this man had that he would say, I'm not going to enjoy home life while my brothers are out on the battlefield dying and protecting us. So he slept on the dirt outside of the palace. It's the same place David's going to sleep. David's going to take that bed for seven days. And when that didn't work, when that didn't work, David is so far away from any prophet, he's so far away from any spiritual authority, that he sends him back. Now he knows I've got to do something because I can't cover up this thing. Uriah will never be known as the father of that child. And he says the word to Joab. Advance and pull back everybody. And leave the man stranded. And there is Uriah. Fighting a battle all by himself. He doesn't turn to his right or his left. He's flanked on the right and the left by the enemy. And he dies. It is a murder. It looks it looks like he dies in the battlefield. He did not die by the hand of the enemy. He died by his own king. He died by the hand of his own king. And when he died, David felt obligated to take Bathsheba as his wife. Until the day she's still pregnant, that Nathan walks in. Guess what? The spiritual authority just walked into his personal living space. And I'll never forget that scene as the Lord painted it in my mind that the prophet lumbers in and David entreats him. It's a big thing. The prophet has come to see me. And David hears 
the story. I've got a story to tell you, David. There's a man. David leans against his scepter and looks intently at the prophet. And the prophet tells him the story. Watch. The spiritual authority has just walked in. You see, this is not a moment you want to live in. Had David been accountable a long time before, he would have never had this encounter. But he did not welcome the spiritual authority. He did not. See, there's different ways for us to, how can I say this? It's more than disrespect. It's, it's to, it's obliterate. It's to remove ourselves. The absence of it. It's not just being, being vicious towards spiritual authority. It's, it's that we don't want any accountability because then we don't have to talk about it. And it's not just spiritual authority from a pulpit. It's spiritual authority all around the church. There's a lot of spiritual authority all around the church. And the Bible will come to this conclusion because we, we, we could just be absent from spiritual authority or we, could, or we could denounce it or we could find flaws in the person that occupies the position. Ooh. And when we find flaws in the person that occupies the position, what we've just done is we've diluted our, our necessity or the feeling or the obligation to submit ourselves. No one wants to obey them to have the rule over you if you don't respect them that have the rule over you. So when you find, and you find all the flaws and fractures, and this is the mystery of God. How can God use a finite man to deliver his infinite word? How can God use flawed men and women to deliver a word that will never fade? In fact, the pure word of God, how can that happen? This takes faith in the scripture. So all of this is going together now. Because now we're, we've come full circle. We've got to find accountability for our lives. No one can force you to be accountable. You've got to decide that. And here's the Bible. Obey them that have the rule over you. Why? Submit yourselves. Why? They watch for something that will not die. They're not watching over something that's temporal. They have to give an account how God is going to do that. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. If they do it with grief, what does the Bible say? That's unprofitable for you. I think that's a pleasant way to say you're in big trouble. Unprofitable for you. That's a big deal. Boy, of course people don't want to be accountable to authority. And they certainly don't like Hebrews 13, 17. That invades your personal space. That'll mess you up every day of the week. I talked to my pastor twice this week on the phone. I sat down with Brother, I sat down with brother Woodward and, and went through every aspect this is what's happened in my marriage. This is what happened in our home. This is what's happening with my children. Here's my finances. This is the church. This is what I'm doing in my prayer life. This is my days of fasting coming up. This is, this is what my outreach is. I'm on the phone twice. I was driving. I went, preached a deal in, on Friday. And on the way, I called pastor on the way. I could just drive and talk to him on the way. And wanted to tell him what was going on. He did not run after me. I made myself available to him. I'm on the phone. I'm talking to him. Because he has to give an account for me and I've got to obey his rule. He gave me a couple of directives. I don't even blink. 
In fact, I'm hoping that he would give me more. They were too easy. What are you talking about? (laughs) My pastor grew up in a military home. His dad died when he was nine. His mother put him in a military home. (laughs) And he responds like a military man. He's got big eyebrows. He's got a little vein that pops out in the forehead like that. I can tell when he's upset. I can see his heartbeat right there. I know. I read him. I've studied him. Because I want to make sure that I'm under him. I'm not standing up here by myself. I have to be accountable to many people. It's a blessing. When I'm accountable to other people, I have freedom in the spirit to deliver the word to you. I walked into a man's church to preach. And he's a young pastor. And he said, I'm so glad you're here. And I said, listen, I'm under your authority. The moment I walked into your pulpit, to your church, I'm under your authority. You tell me what you need me to do. Because I'm under your spiritual authority the moment I walked in here. Because I recognize that if I'm going to operate in the spirit world, I better understand how authority in the spirit world operates. You want authority over sickness and disease. You want authority over your children, demonic spirits. But if you're not accountable to any spiritual authority, you're never going to get it because the devil doesn't even recognize who you are. Jesus we know. Paul we know. But who are you? That's right. you got to have more than just a casual association with accountability. Amen. And the crowd goes wild. Number seven. Are we on number seven? Accountable for our home. You're accountable for your home. You are. Not the Sunday school teachers. Not Pastor Andrew. You're accountable for your home. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Talk about it. What becomes sound doctrine? Speak it out of your mouth. You speak it. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. By the time you get older, you should have all these attributes. It takes a long time to get there. I'm not there because I'm not old. (laughs) But by the time I get to be... Some of you know who you are. You. I hope to become sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. I'm struggling on patience. I have love. I'm sound in faith. I do get angry. So the temperate problems issue. And sometimes I'm irreverent. So soberness is not always my strong point. But I got about half of them. (laughs) The aged women. Isn't that nice? The aged women. Likewise, that they be in behavior as become holiness. Wow. Behavior, that is your attitude as becoming holiness. Not false accusers. Not giving them wine, much wine. Teachers of good things. What does the Bible say? That they may teach the younger women. In fact, see, if you don't have those other attributes, you can't deliver anything to the younger women. And what do you want the younger one to do? Be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. You are accountable for your home. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with promise. That it may be well with thee that thou must live, live long on the earth. And, your, and you fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't provoke them to wrath. I've heard a lot of commentaries on that. But bring them up. 
in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I, I won't cover those commentaries. I'm running out of time. Finally, number eight. Can I just go back to home? We're talking about home in this next in these Sundays. You, you have to be accountable for your home. You, you've got to be accountable for what's coming across your televisions and your computers. You've got to be accountable. You've got to, someone's got to be some kind of accountability for what's happening in your house. You cannot just act like it's just willy-nilly in your homes. You cannot just, you cannot just let your children run all over the place and do whatever they want. You cannot allow yourself, if you're, if, even if you're single, you still have to be accountable for what's happening in your home, in your life. You ought to, you ought to measure what's going on in your home, the sound waves, the issues, the conversations, what you're hearing, what you're listening to, who comes to your table, who you put at your table, who, whose table you're at. You ought, you've got to be accountable to that. It's very, very important. I'm, I, I get often concerned that people are in the church a long time, but they've never grown up. That people can be decades in the church, but they're still immature in the Lord. Spiritual immaturity is an epidemic among us. And by the time, by the time you get through a whole year series of lessons and sermons, you ought to have a little more strength than you had before. But I'm, I'm concerned that we're not accountable to anyone and we're not growing up in the Lord. We, we act like baby Christians, sincere milk of the word. And we've got the misnomers that maybe if we go to the altar and speak in tongues again, we become no different than the Baptists and the Methodists that repent Every Sunday, because we go through our functions thinking if we can speak in tongues again, everything will be okay. It didn't clear up the other things that we're saying with our normal words in our home. We got to be accountable for our own homes. Guess what happens? If the homes don't have accountability, then there's no accountability in the church. The church, ladies and gentlemen, is only a reflection of the home. That's right. Mm. This is not what I heard when I, when I went to camps and conventions and conferences. I never heard anyone tell, say that. I heard that was all about what happened at the church, that if the church was on fire, that the home would be on fire. And I found out that is not true. I say if the home is on fire, the church will be on fire. I'll tell you what, before you ever get to the church, if you'll have a little worship time on Saturday, by the time you get to the house of God, we'll bust this thing loose. If you have faith in your home, you're going to have faith in the church. But if you don't have any kind of peace in your home and you come into the church, you're dragging all that inside and it takes you a long time, maybe never. And now we've got people who are going backwards instead of forwards. Why? Because they've been just as immature today as they were many, many years ago. Because they never had any accountability in their own personal lives. You got to be accountable. Your home. Everybody say my home. Your home, it's got to reflect Jesus Christ. It should be a place of stability. And it doesn't matter if you're single, if you're married, if you have children, if you're a blended family, whatever it is, there's got to be some measure of accountability. And finally, number eight, letter eight, number eight. Accountable for the fallen and the lost. Now, I, there's a bifurcation here somewhere. I don't know where it started, but there's, there is some kind of bifurcation way back upstream those that are fallen. I don't know. I don't know exactly how I would phrase it, but perhaps maybe they are in sin or maybe, maybe they're in a situation of fault. I, I don't want to lay the charge of sinfulness on them. 
Because Paul didn't. He just said, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. You know, a fault can be many things. It, it, it can be a place where people stumble. Maybe it's something they're overtaken in. It's a difficult situation. Maybe they developed a bad spirit. And they don't have their act together. Maybe they got discouraged. Maybe it is sinful. I don't know. Here's my definition of spirituality. When I think of who's spiritual in the church. Spiritual people are people who restore other people. And it comes from the scripture. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Here's the, here's the attitude in which you restore. The spirit of meekness. Everyone say meekness. And consider yourself. Spirit of meekness. And I'm not that good. Uh, spirit of meekness. And I know I am susceptible to failure. Spiritual people are not those people who condemn everyone who falls in a, in a fault. Anyone who says, I told you so. I saw that coming. They're not spiritual. They just have long tenure. Mm-hmm. And here's the law of Jesus Christ. It's a greater law than Isaac Newton. It's a greater law than inertia or gravity, gravitational pull. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You want to know the law of Christ? That you are walking around and you are accountable to the fallen around you. See, there's people that are fallen and they're in the church and they're overtaken in something. And you've got to restore them. And how do you restore them? Faith, encouragement, power, positivity, loving God. We're going to have joy in the Lord. You're going to be better. You're going to do better. I speak faith into your life. You're, never, you're not going to die. You're not going to give up. You're not going to over, be overcoming that. I'm speaking faith to your life. You're going to get out of that mess. You're going to, what, it coming, it's coming. You're going to rejoice in the Lord. You're going to dance before the Lord. You're, never, you're not always going to live in that mess. God's going to bring you out. I see something at the end. I see something good's happening. And I'm restoring someone. I believe in you. I trust that God. I trust the God inside of you. Go do that to your kids. Go do the opposite to your children. Go say that you're never going to be anything. I can't believe you. I can't believe you've done that. You're just done. You're over. I can't believe you're even part of this household. That is how many people have considered one another in the church. Look around, ladies and gentlemen. Another denomination is not coming over here to encourage you in the Lord. We have one another, and that's probably it. Look at one another. You are the reason why you get to be encouraged. No one's picking me up but you. No one's going to help me but you. No one's going to consider my problem but you. But if you'll just pick me up a little bit, maybe I can get going again. If you'll just say, I'm glad to see you. I love you. I, I want to be with you. What can I do to pray for you? If you can give me a little scripture here and there and say, hey, listen, brother, I'm with you. You're going to make it. You're going to be an overcomer. I'm, the Lord's not done with you yet. Listen, I know I can interrupt your prophecy over me. I know I can have a bad spirit and do something that's adverse. But if you'll just give me a word of prophecy saying, God's going to use you and God's going to bring you. And there's a revival inside of you. Let those words come out of your mouth rather than smash people down. I wonder how many people have never even found encouragement in the church because we didn't think it was our responsibility and no one encouraged them.
The world is encouraging each other to do wrong. They're encouraging each other to sin. The church ought to encourage each other to do right. We ought to be encouraging one another to do well. And when you see something that's bad on someone's Facebook, for the Lord's sake, don't push the thumbs up button. You don't have to push the thumbs down. But but at least don't encourage them to do wrong. But if you see somebody having some good moments in the church, at least out of your mouth you ought to say something like, I believe in you. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay. And restore people when you see them in a fault. You know how many people we could have in our church, all around our churches, if everyone thought it was their responsibility to pick one another up all the time? Do you know how many people leave the church not because they don't believe the doctrine, not because they don't believe the Lord, not because they don't want to be saved, but because they got caught up in a fault and nobody was around to say, come on, you're going to make it. Come on, keep on coming. Come on, keep on. Get to church now. It's all right. We love you. We're going to go to your home. Let's go for coffee. Let's have a dinner. Come on, we, got, we can make it. That's right. But many people have left. Because we didn't feel like it was our responsibility. We're not accountable. You are accountable to everyone. You are your brother's keeper. Look around the church. You must lift up each other. Amen. I wish I had an amen. I'm provoking you today to find somebody. And don't say that's not your personality. Well, I'm just not good talking to people. That's not true. That's not true. That's just pride. You know, shyness is also pride. She's shy. <laughs> no, she's proud. That's not, that's, not, that's not shyness. It's just pride. Pride manifests itself, in many, manifests itself in many ways. Pride. People who say, I just don't want anyone to know what I give. That's pride. I don't like to fill out the envelope because, you know, it's just between me and God. No, that's pride. You don't want, you want anyone to know what you're given, what you're not given. That's just pride. I have uncovered so many levels of pride. I keep, the catalog has never been depleted. Every excuse I find, that's just pride. In fact, anyone who qualifies their statement before they make it, makes the statement true. I don't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> you just did. I don't know what you got us. I don't know what you're going to say, but it, I'm already hurt. I'm wounded. I don't want to pop your bubble. You just did. Before you said something. See, when you say, I don't want to give you the big head and then give a compliment, they... They work against each other. It'd be better for you to never say anything than for you to say, I don't want to put you on a pedestal. Well, you didn't. Anyone who says, now, I'm not about drama, but it's dramatic. Whatever's coming next is dramatic. Let's start crying right now. Any preface makes the next statement obsolete. True or reverse. Whatever. This is really just, some people are already very offended, but Thanksgiving is coming. Amen. And now, finally, you're accountable for the lost. You are accountable for the lost. This is, this is the prayer request of Jesus Christ. There's a harvest, it's there, but the laborers are few. Laborers. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. You're accountable to the world. We, ladies and gentlemen, are accountable to the lost people of our community. They're lost 
Not because there's not a cross. Not because there's not a name. Not because there's not atonement available. They're lost because there are no laborers in the field. That's what Jesus said. The world is lost because the church is at the building, not in the field. Amen. And now that all the lines are filled out, I must be over. Please stand with me.